Hello, this is Richard Joy, Executive Director of the Urban Land Institute, or ULI Toronto. Welcome to a special rebroadcast or repodcast of our PropTech interview series with Terry Olnick, co-chair of the ULI Membership Committee and Managing Director of Multiplex Canada. We are grateful for the sponsorship of Willow, a global technology company working within the real estate and infrastructure industry. Through its renowned digital twinning technology, Willow empowers asset owners and operators to make proactive, data-led decisions in real time and better manage risk. Originally aired this past summer and fall, we hope you enjoy these conversations as Terry unpacks trends, advancements, challenges and innovative solutions and technology in the real estate and development sector. Where have we been and where is technology taking us? How has COVID-19 shaped the prop tech landscape and why is having a digital strategy so important these days? We hope you enjoy. Uh, today we're interviewing uh, Bridget and on the call we have Mallory Brody and Lauren Lake. So welcome. Thank you for having us, Terry. Yeah, my pleasure. This is, uh, this is an exciting time. So uh, we're, we're actually excited to be uh, interviewing you both today. Uh, we've heard so much about you and, and Multiplex personally has had the opportunity to uh, work with, with one of your products at our Transit City job. And it's really intrigued us as to um, where we can go with, with the whole uh, digital experience. And we'll dive a little deeper into that today. Let me, uh, let me start off with some introductions. So my name is Terry Olenek. I'm the uh, Managing Director and President of Multiplex Canada. I'll start with, um, with uh, Mallory Brody. Mallory Brody is the uh, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder. Uh, Mallory holds an honors degree from the Richard Ivey School of Business and has almost 10 years of entrepreneurial experience. She holds various entrepreneurial awards, including receiving the top prize at Google Demo Day, being named uh, Tech Vibes Entrepreneur of the Year, being named to the 2019 Forbes Manufacturing and Industry 30 Under 30, and being named uh, to one of Best of Canada's Forbes Under 30 uh, Innovators list. Lauren Lake, Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder. Lauren holds a degree in Civil Structural Engineering from Western University and is well-versed in construction workflow methods. Lauren holds various awards, including receiving the top prize at Google Demo Day, being named in the Tech Week 100 list of entrepreneurs, being named to the 2019 Forbes Manufacturing and Industry 30 Under 30, and being named to the Best of Canada Forbes Under 30 Innovators list. Very impressive. So maybe, um, maybe we can uh, get into some questions uh, right off the hop. So um, maybe starting with you, Mallory, uh, where did you grow up and what did you think uh, you would be when you grew up? Yeah, thanks again for having us, Terry. We're excited to talk more about Bridget and our, our background and the company history. Um, so I grew up in Ottawa and you know, it, I actually got into construction through some family members that were working in the construction industry in Ottawa. Um, so my great grandfather had a rebar company, Zagerman Steel, um, yeah. in the Ottawa area. And then my grandfather had a demolition company um, that he had started in the Ottawa area, Cone and Cone Demolition. And then my dad went into real estate. And so, you know, despite the fact that when I was younger, I, I didn't necessarily think I was going to go into the construction industry and the tech capacity. It was something that our family would often talk about at the dinner table. And it was something that I was familiar with. Um, and it was really through meeting Lauren that we got the start um, to focus on some of the products that we ended up building at Bridget. Um, but I think the first career that I was the most interested in was actually being a lawyer. Um, it's possible that was inspired by the movie Legally Blonde because I think it, it came out right around the time that I uh, was really focused on becoming a lawyer. Um, but I'm certainly happy to kind of have gone down the, the path that we've gone and um, Lauren will definitely speak more to how we met and decided to actually narrow in on the construction industry from a career standpoint. Same question to you, Lauren. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up in Stratford, Ontario, so small town. 
Um, similar to Mallory, had family in the construction industry. So my grandfather had started his, his own business. My two uncles now run that company, so very much the family business. Um, and because I had studied civil engineering in school, I had the opportunity to work with my family's company and get some of that hands-on experience. Um, they really just threw me onto all sorts of different projects uh, so that I could have you know, the on-site um, full experience and get that exposure. So that was uh, something that I'm very fortunate to have had. And then it was when I met Mallory um, and we were part of an entrepreneurship program. That's when we really started to connect on kind of our family's backgrounds, uh, my experience being on site for kind of that period of time. And then uh, seeing that there was an opportunity possibly at that point um, to bring more technology uh, into the space. And so that's kind of how we got started. Um, a bunch of different coincidences and just realizing that we had um, a similar history and background. So tell me more about that, Lauren. How did, how did this sort of flow from an idea to something you thought could actually work into the point where you realize this is real and it can happen? Yeah, so I think early on, um, we had a bit of exposure from our families, um, from my time on site. So we had this gut feeling that it was odd that there wasn't more technology in the construction space, but we weren't entirely sure if that meant there was a true opportunity there or not. Lots of people from outside the industry said, oh, this is crazy. You're never going to get, you know, a big slower moving industry um, like construction to adopt technology. It's just not practical. And we uh, weren't really sure what, what to say to that. So we said, you know, the only way for us to really understand what the opportunities are um, is to get out there ourselves and start asking people that are experiencing these challenges every single day. We can't just make that assumption on our own between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And so we started this kind of crane hunting um, experience where we, you know, literally just drove around looking for construction sites, looking for people to talk to and share their experience and just asked lots of questions, tried to understand what the challenges were. Uh, we didn't have any solutions at that point. We we just wanted to understand what those specific opportunities would be and that's where we started to hear from lots of different people architects engineers general contractors um, about all the challenges they had with lots of manual methods on site um, and so that led us to our first product Bridget Field which was a deficiency management product so really a simple app that you could download on your phone or tablet and then log those deficiencies um, digitally versus trying to add everything to an Excel doc. Uh, Mallory can speak more to our second product, but it was very much that same kind of iterative experimental process, just asking questions and then arriving at a solution. Was the, uh, the crane hunting in Toronto only, or was it across Canada? Was it across North America? There's a lot of cranes, Jace. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was mostly across southwestern Ontario, um, and the only vehicle we had to get around the sites was my mom's old Sebring convertible. And so you can imagine two fourth-year university students showing up to job sites in this silver convertible. Um, so we definitely stood out a little bit, um, but that allowed us to go to tons of different sites, and we ended up speaking to 500 individuals from the construction industry that were in a variety of roles. So learned a lot during that research process, but we were also able to really narrow down on the specific challenges around punchless management um, for our first product. So, so what was the, the biggest problem you solved initially? Yeah, so initially it was, um, you know, our, our Bridget Field solution was solving all of the manual efforts around the punchless management process. So when we went to sites, we were seeing um, you know, project engineers and site superintendents and project managers manually writing down what the deficiency or punch list items were, then taking a picture with their digital camera, going back to their site office, uploading the photos, typing up the list, manually kind of splitting up the list of the different trades that the information had to go to, and then updating it on a weekly basis. So it was very time consuming. And you know, if it were just a hundred punch items, maybe that process would have worked, but we are seeing 10,000 or 15,000 different items. And it's very hard to manage that sort of volume without a tool to support. Um, and that was right around the time that mobile technology was coming to the job site and you'd see more iPads or mobile phones being used in the day-to-day -day on site. And so um, having a mobile solution that allowed teams to improve that process was really well received. And then, you know, fast forward five years into our company, we had over 130 customers um, operations teams were coming to us with, you know, other challenges that they were experiencing, which is really what led us to the second product, Bridget Bench, which is for more the operations team and for resource planning and construction.
tell us a bit more about Bench. Yeah, so what we observed was, so we, we went out and spoke to a lot of um, CTOs and COOs from large construction firms. And at this point, construction tech had received a ton of venture capital investment. There had been you know, many more solutions adopted within the construction industry compared to when we started the company in 2014. Um, so the space was a lot more crowded and mature from when we first started. And so we were looking for, you know, other gaps and other challenges. And it was in one meeting in particular where, you know, the, they were going through their software stack and they said, well, we have a CRM solution. We have project management solution. We have an HR tool. And then one of them was like, oh, like, you know, our operations team has been asking me for a resource planning solution for the last decade. And I never have something to offer them. I, I just say, just keep using your Excel spreadsheet. Um, and we thought that was pretty interesting given that resource planning software exists in many other industries and it hadn't yet made its way to construction because of some of the specific needs the construction industry has. Um, so we interviewed another 50 or so executives in the construction industry and found that there was, you know, these key business metrics that they wanted access to, but they were very difficult to calculate and track when it was a manual effort. So just, you know, what is the utilization rate of my workforce? Are people being put on jobs that they're the best suited for and that they have the proper skill set for? Who's been on the bench for too long just because, you know, we have 500 team members we're trying to track and it's hard to make sure everyone is being placed to a job at the exact right time when, when there's a need available. And so all these things were just very difficult to solve um, via the spreadsheet. And that was really the inspiration behind um, the Bridge of Bench solution. Excellent. So let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and, and get to understand you as, as leaders. Um, Lauren, what would you say, uh, would you say your leadership styles are similar or different? If so, how? Um, <laughs> Good question. So Mallory and I think we have very complementary skill sets. Um, so I think there's lots of things that we do differently, but, you know, in working together and literally being kind of joined at the hip for the past almost decade, we've really learned how to kind of bounce those um, skill sets off of each other. So uh, Mallory said it once uh, really well a couple of years ago. She said, if it was just me running the business, you know, if it was just Mallory running the business, uh, we would make too many mistakes. And if it was just Lauren running the business, we wouldn't make enough. Um, mm. And I think that captures it um, really perfectly. Mallory's very much, you know, a big picture thinker. She's always on to the next idea. She sees opportunity in everything um, and very kind of optimistic. Um, and yeah, idea after idea after idea. I'm probably a bit more um, detail oriented. Um, I find flaws in a lot of things. Um, and so I think between the two of us, you know, Mallory's out there getting lots of great ideas and I'm almost vetting them <laughs> is what it ends up being. Um, so I'd say that's a difference. Um, sorry, I'll let Mallory jump in. I was just gonna say that we met two um, business partners a few years ago who basically mirrored our dynamic and they had you know another way of putting it, but they said that you know the one the one partner that was I think more similar to me he would you know have all the dirty laundry that he's he's throwing into the washing machine and then the partner similar to Lauren was actually washing the laundry to make sure that you know these great and more well thought out ideas came came through so they had kind of a similar dynamic and we thought that was pretty comparable and a funny way to put it. <laughs> That's true. That's I think in terms of our leadership style, um, I mean we're both new um, to the tech world. This is our first company, um, you know, of this type and scale. Mallory had a business um, before, but definitely, um, you know, very different. And so I think for both of us, one thing we share in common, at least how I would see it is, um, I don't think we pretend to know everything. You know, we, we leave our egos um, at the door. And I think we're pretty upfront in saying we're learning as we go and being able to surround ourselves with, you know, really brilliant, smart, um, experienced people um, and kind of lead through bringing those people together versus feeling like we need to be the smartest people in the room because we're not. How many people are in the organization right now? Um, so we're about 55. And this, and you've, you've reached, so how, you've been in business for how long now? I guess technically about seven years. Um, the first year was, you know, that research phase um, and then launched the first product in 2014. So that, that's, that's really interesting. That's, it seems um, like a fairly balanced uh, growth 
for seven years, uh, considering uh, your client base. One of the things that comes to my mind is, how do you handle innovation and great ideas? You know, because there are so many opportunities to uh, address different problems. And I know uh, yourself and Mallory have made it very clear to me that you're focused, uh, your concentration is on construction and solving construction problems. But even at that, there's gotta be so many ideas with innovation. How do you manage the innovation process? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that we've always um, just sort of intuitively known um, to do when it comes to new ideas. Um, the first one is never fall in love with your own ideas. So I think um, the research process has helped us validate whether ideas we have for different solutions are actually good. Um, and very early on, before we even built either of our products, we got letters of intent signed saying, you know, hypothetically, if we were to build this solution, would you be willing to actually sign up as a paying customer? And we found through that process, you get very candid answers and feedback from individuals because maybe someone was saying, oh, great idea, great idea. And then you say, well, would you pay us for this? And they're like, oh no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay you for this. And then that helps actually validate what whether you're adding value or not um, with the solution you've built. And it's, yeah, it's easy to get excited about ideas, but I think just making sure that you really validate them with your customer base has been really important for us. Um, and then the second thing is just about staying focused. And so there's always opportunity, I think, for innovation and in industry and construction, um, I think is you know, very much ripe for more and continued innovation, but you can't boil the ocean and we can't, um, you know, dedicate all of our resources to we can't dedicate our resources to too many different priorities um, there has to be a single priority and so that's been one thing that i think has been critical in us actually getting you know a great product out the door um, and making sure that our customers are happy and we're actually solving their problem just by not spreading ourselves too thin yeah in that research phase it was never a lack of ideas that was the challenge there was ideas everywhere we looked and problems everywhere we looked and people from the industry brought us great, you know, solutions and examples every single day. I think the hardest part was actually being able to focus in on what we were going to tackle um, and being, you know, at the beginning, it was just the two of us. Um, and even later on, as we grew the team, we never had, you know, the ability to just go and build everything. Nobody can do that. Um, so we really um, always stayed hyper-focused and said, you know, let's tackle this thing first once we can actually build that to being something, you know, successful that has traction, then we can open up um, and, you know, take the next priority on. All right. Excellent. I think, I think it's, uh, it is smart to recognize to stay focused and not sort of quote unquote boil the ocean. I, th I think a lot of companies fall into that trap and chase too many ideas and don't really come up with uh, a great, a great success that's uh, strategically focused. Yeah. So, Lauren, let me ask you, in, in your opinion, what's the, uh, the most groundbreaking advancement in the construction industry? In your opinion, at any point in history? Hmm. Um, I mean, from our perspective, I think uh, when mobile phones went from being a distraction to being an actual asset um, to people in the industry, that really opened the gateway for us and lots of other companies like us to actually start building products. When we first started that research, um, you know, process, which wasn't that long ago, at that time, you know, there were still um, people on site that didn't feel um, that they could use their device um, on site, even if they had a personal phone. Um, and lots of people at that time still didn't even have a smartphone um, available to them on site. So of course, it was difficult to have technology at people's fingertips. It it truly wasn't there. Um, so people would have maybe a computer back at their office, but they weren't there very often. And so it created this very kind of digital to manual process, you know, back and forth. Um, and so I think that from our point of view, in terms of the work that we're doing, that's probably the biggest advancement because you could build the most incredible technology, but if somebody doesn't have the ability to use that in their day to day, then it's not gonna go anywhere. Thank you. The, uh, I've seen it many times, um, there is that McKinsey report that, that shows the digital transformation of construction companies is just above anglers and hunters. Um, 
I would even argue that farming might be ahead of construction in a lot of ways as it relates to digital transformation. Um, Mallory, you, you, uh, you described to me uh, the, the, the journey of construction from doing digital to being digital. Can you explain what that, that means? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I certainly did not coin this concept. It's definitely the talk among many consulting firms like McKinsey and Deloitte. Um, right now, this idea of going from, um, you know, doing digital to being digital. Um, the first thing I will say, though, is, is I empathize with the construction industry being a project-based industry, because I think we've observed over the last number of years that that's one of the reasons. It's, it's both um, a blessing and a curse. So I think it's, it's easy to reinvent yourself because you always are starting a new project but it's also very difficult because there's always so much on the line for every individual project that you don't wanna be taking too much risk when it comes to trying out new solutions and new process because you know you need to get it right for the client. So I think it, the construction industry being project-based has made it difficult for the innovation to come in the same way that it maybe has other industries. Um, in terms of the doing digital to, to being digital, um, doing digital is really kind of the, the earliest part of the spectrum where you're starting to make technology investments, but um, ultimately nothing has really changed with your business operating or customer model. The business is, for all intents and purposes, the same. Um, if you are being digital, there's often been you know, a major cultural shift, and I think the leadership team has taken a step back and they thought about, you know, what what should this look like what should how should our industry ought to kind of be and i think it requires you to almost take a step back and think if we were starting you know a construction company all over and we didn't think about the way we've done things in the past and we were just thinking about the best and most efficient way to approach things in the future you would probably build a very different company and we've seen this happen in um you know financial tech and education tech it's just a completely new approach to personal finances or to education online, for instance, and the business models don't operate at all in the same way that they may be used to with traditional banking or traditional school systems. And so I think, you know, to really become digital, it can be scary because you have to take that step back and think about a completely new way of doing things. But I think that's really what will set companies apart into the future. Um, and that doesn't mean it all needs to be implemented overnight. I think companies can take an agile approach to implement, um, but just simply buying software solutions is, is not going to be enough, I don't think, in the future. Lauren, in your opinion, with the construction companies you've been dealing with, how many of them would you say, or even client base in general, um, the AEC community, and even some developers, would, is, it, is it clear that they have a digital strategy in their transformation? I don't know if it's always necessarily clear in terms of digital strategy, but I think there's like the, the desire to go there, I would say is present in every company that we talk to. People uh, and companies understand that that's you know, the future. People want to adapt, they want to innovate. So um, kind of bringing us back to that very first time we started talking about this idea of construction technology and we had lots of people saying to us, oh, that's never going to fly. Construction's never going to be interested in this. When we actually got to those companies and started talking to them, they said, of course, we want to use technology. We just don't have the tools available to us and we don't uh, you know, have the connection to those types of companies that are going to build um, those types of products. So there was a true disconnect there in terms of what the industry wanted and what the perception was. People think that the industry is, you know, so old school or, you know, too traditional. Um, and from our perspective, that's completely not the case. Um, and to Mallory's point, there's, you know, tons of different reasons. We won't get into all of them today, but lots of different reasons for why the construction industry has lagged in terms of um, technology advancement. And a lot of that comes from, you know, actual investment into the space. Um, there aren't that many companies out there working on construction tech, um, you know, in the past couple of years that has changed, but it's still nowhere near, um, you know, the investment going into other areas. So, you know, of course, that's kind of where we're at. But I would say the, the willingness to adapt, the willingness to bring digital into those companies is 100% is there. I think companies are still struggling with how to actually do that. What does that actually mean? Um, but of course, that's the case. Everyone's figuring this out as they go. So I wouldn't say that's, you know, 
the fault of any company. That's just, you know, the state that everyone is in and everyone's learning and, and adapting. So would you say that um, Bridget has helped companies take that first step in the digital transformation and, and evolve from doing to becoming? That's I think it's definitely been our goal. <laughs> it's definitely been our goal. And I think we're, we're making a lot of progress there. I think um, for sort of the next evolution to happen, it needs to really be a partnership between vendors and then the companies internally um, thinking through what's required to truly being digital. Um, so I think it, it really needs to be a partnership between both sides of the industry to get all the way there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It, often it is the first step, especially with uh, maybe some smaller construction companies and then, and then realizing the power of digital and data. So Mallory, let me ask you this. Do you find yourselves getting deeper involved in the businesses you're working with as it relates to digital transformation? We definitely are. I think we, you know, we take it upon ourselves to be able to um, provide insight to the industry because we are working with such a large customer base that, you know, we are getting feedback from so many different types of companies and we're able to kind of help share that and, um, you know, you know, get sort of these higher level learnings that we can um, bring back to our customers. So I think, I think that's helpful. Um, I think by making solutions that are really easy to use and seeing companies get adoption um, further motivates them to see how technology can impact their business and it's not something that companies need to be you know afraid of or nervous to adopt um, technology has come such a long way in the last number of years that for any company that feels you know oh well it was clunky and no one adopted it and therefore we're sort of you know jaded about this idea of technology and we don't want to try anything because it didn't go well i think that's going away because companies are having great experiences with like very easy to use software. So um, yeah, we definitely, we definitely feel we're, we're playing a role and hope to continue doing that in the future. Let's, let's dive a little deeper into this, the insights, the data. Um, so can you share some of the insights uh, you or your customers have gained through data collection? Some surprises, you know, as, as you harness the power of collecting the data and being more organized, there must have been some eureka moments for companies themselves. And then at a, at a higher level, what, what has Bridget learned from, from gathering data from multiple construction sites? What are some of the trends you're seeing uh, that surprised you or Lauren? So in terms of the actual, um, I guess, data collection, um, I'll talk about Bench specifically. So our new Bridget Bench product, which as Mallory had talked about earlier, is focused on workforce planning. Mm -hmm. um, and so the really interesting thing there is that companies have a lot of data um, in those spreadsheets that they're typically managing. Um, the problem is that it's hard to actually, you know, uh, carry that data forward. So they have a living, you know, Excel document that they would update once a week in their workforce planning meetings, and they would manually look at, you know, who are all of our team members, what experiences or skill sets do they have, and then, you know, what positions um, or roles do we have that are open on different projects, and who are we going to match where. Um, a lot of the time people are making those decisions based on their, you know, historical um, relationship with those people. So they know that Joe, for example, has a lot of healthcare experience. He would be great, you know, in this project and so on. Um, and so the thing that we're seeing is lots of companies are actually going back, finding those old spreadsheets and uploading years worth of that data, um, seeing who was on each project at what point. Um, adding all, you know, someone's qualifications, skill sets into Bridget Bench, and then allowing um, us going forward to, you know, build more features using that data so we can make smarter suggestions um, and we can help optimize um, their planning. Right now, we don't have any actual, you know, machine learning or specific algorithms in the product that, you know, learn from that data. That's definitely what we would like to get into later on, but it sets the stage for us to start looking at things like that. Um, and so I think, you know, companies have a lot more data at their fingertips than they even realize. It's just a matter of now finding tools that can actually capture that, you know, start to learn and make optimizations based on it and then continue, continue that on into the future. And, and Mallory, on, as you've collected the data from multiple companies, uh, what, is there a trend or a eureka moment you're noticing sort of at a 10,000 feet across all of these businesses? Are they doing uh, the same, are they making all the same mistakes? Are they all trending in a different direction? What, 
where's the compass pointing as it relates to digital and the data you're finding? Yeah, I think one of the major um, areas that companies have been, you know, pleasantly surprised when they upload their data into Bench is truly understanding what their workforce utilization is. And that's, you know, a key number in so many different industries. But when you're managing things in Excel, it's just very hard to keep track of. And so we have companies that, you know, if you would ask them in an early conversation, you know, what's your workforce utilization? Do you need to hire more people for all the jobs you have coming up? They would say, yes, we need more people. Like we're so short on having individuals to place on these projects. There's so much in the pipeline. And then, you know, there's been situations where we've then uploaded their data. They have the utilization dashboard and they're like, oh, there's five people that I basically lost track of because I, I have a spreadsheet with 500 names in it. And we do actually have the five people and I was about to tell HR to hire new people. Um, so it's just, you know, the fact that we can make um, them, you know, better visualize the information they already had access to has been pretty powerful. And I think when you don't have the baseline, then it's really hard to set goals and try and improve your company operations. So I think just giving them the baseline numbers has been a really big moment for the industry um, and for us to sort of see with our customers. And then over time, as we get more data, we can actually show, you know, by region, what is the average utilization rate at this type of company in this geography um, to create more benchmarks for the industry as a whole, which, which I think will be really interesting. Yeah, so do I. I think, uh, especially with the cost consultants, they'll really uh, latch onto that. What about the deficiency process and managing deficiencies early and not having to go back and saving all of that expensive time in managing deficiencies. Are you seeing any trends there? Yeah, we're definitely seeing trends on the Bridget Field side. Um, I think, again, um, similar to on Bridget Bench, the biggest thing has been actually you know, giving those insights, even if they're the most base level kind of metrics, actually something to point to in terms of a number on a piece of paper. So with the Bridget Field product, um, one of the you know, favorite features in that product is just having the ability to pull you know, a daily report, a weekly report, and actually show by trade, by floor, however you want to break it down, what are the, you know, the outstanding items, and then being able to actually um, quantify that. So to see, I have 500 outstanding items that are overdue, that are drywall related, and that are on floors one through 10. And then being able to actually have a conversation with those trades and understand where people are at and what needs to be adjusted. I think before people were dealing with such huge volumes of data all in an, an Excel spreadsheet. They couldn't even prioritize where the bottlenecks were um, until it was too late, until those companies had you know, left the site. And now it was difficult to get somebody back in. So I think, again, the biggest thing has been you know, just surfacing those high-level metrics so that companies can, you know, and project managers can make smarter decisions and focus their time on the right, on the right places. Let's talk about uh, third-party integration. So you, you know, using Procore as an example, um, they, with, with uh, the combination of Procore and Honest Buildings now, you have developers getting more involved in the process and the use of Procore at the front end, uh, the tendering uh, portion, uh, the involvement of the consultants. And now they have visibility through, through the project um, uh, as an example, uh, using Procore on a construction project, it, it keeps the owner uh, well-informed and information at their fingertips. And now I understand you have an integration with Procore yourselves, and that can, I, I would imagine that Bridget Field uh, integrates and, uh, and gives the developer that insight. Tell, tell me a bit more about that, that platform and the integration with, with Procore. Yeah, so integrations have definitely become table stakes, I would say, in the construction tech world. Um, the industry has so many workflows and so many stakeholders using different solutions that the ability for tools to integrate is definitely very important. Um, the focus of our Procore integration has been on the Bridget Bench product um, to sync project data, and that's something that we'll continue building on as we get additional customer requests. Um, and the idea is that, you know, you want one source of truth, you want to be updating your data in one software and not need to update it in 10 pieces of software. Um, so I think just, you know, improving the communication between those software solutions to make it easy for the customer to use the products. 
um, is really the thinking there and the thinking behind all of the integrations that we're, we're working on over the next year as well. So why would a developer demand a, a builder use Bridget? So developers would be more involved in the Bridget field side. So if they had a project um, where the general contractor, architect, and so on um, wanted to use Bridget field to track that punch list process. Um, it also does track inspections um, for residential projects um, in Canada. We can do the tarry on um, warranty and so on. Um, so depending on the type of project, the developer may be involved in terms of those warranty items or in terms of you know, overseeing um, some of that punch list process. Um, the way that it works on Bridget Field is it's very customizable. So it can be set up differently depending on the type of project, who's involved, who wants to be involved, who doesn't, and so on. So you can set permission levels. You know, in some cases, the general contractor will manage most of that and only escalate certain items up. Um, in other cases, maybe the owner or developer wants to be involved from the beginning and just have transparency into seeing that list and being able to comment on items um, or loop in the architect when needed and so on. So with the Bridget Field product, we've literally seen every single setup there could be in terms of you know, that dynamic and how people want to, to set it up. And that just led us to making um, you know, the permissions and all of the setup as customizable as possible. And maybe um, Mallory, you can tell me a little bit about the uh other other investors in Bridget? Absolutely. So we recently closed a round of financing um, back in July and Autodesk, um, the large construction software firm, led that round of financing. And then we also had participation from existing investors such as BDC um, and Stand Up Ventures, as well as new investors. Um, EDC was one of the ones um, that was a, a new stakeholder. And um, that was really exciting for us. I think it was you know, a testament to the fact that we are solving problems that are meaningful to the industry that you know, we're hearing about firsthand. Autodesk, um, who has you know, a huge global reach, is hearing about. Um, and just that we're, you know, we're really building solutions that are a great fit for the problems that we observe. So that was really exciting news. And that will just help us further invest in our product development um, to continue building out um, the Bridget Bench product and supporting Bridget Fields customers um, over the next few years. So let's, let's talk about the future. So the future of digital and construction, what does it look like in five years? And what does it look like in 10 years? Um, yes, so I think it's exciting. We're just at the very beginning, I would say, of this kind of evolution in terms of bringing technology into the construction industry. Um, there's lots of different advancements. You know, there's more work with, you know, drones and all these cool technologies. Um, you know, we're not involved in any of the, you know, groundbreaking things um, like that. But I think from our perspective, in terms of building really easy to use software solutions, um, especially on bench, you know, step one is getting general contractors to adopt this type of technology to get feedback on it. And that's kind of the state that we're in right now. Um, we have a great customer base. We're learning a lot from how those customers are using the product and we're continuing to build on it. And we see so many different avenues in the future for how that will grow and evolve. Um, we see building that out for you know, engineering firms, architecture firms, actually you know, addressing other areas of the construction industry versus just the GCs that we focus on now. Um, and we see lots of different areas for the product to branch out. Um, once we have you know, Bridget Bench as kind of the central point for some of those operations conversations. There's lots of other pieces of, of their process that we can, you know, build into our product and continue to add value. So I think from our perspective, we see lots of opportunity with Bridget Bench and growing that um, to be an even bigger part of the operations teams, you know, day to day. Um, I think broader picture for the construction industry, we'll see lots of advancements, you know, both on the technology side in terms of you know, additional products that companies are using, um, but also, you know, true new hardware um, and that sort of thing, you know, on the site or within companies that will change the way that work is actually being done. Yeah, it's really, it's really about the time spent doing work or planning or understanding your business and removing what I call the hidden factories. Wherever you can remove a hidden factory from a construction process, uh, you get a check mark, but it's really the ability to measure that you've actually removed it and, and having that insight and, and that real, uh, the validation of the return on investment. Mallory, what's, what's, your, what's your global view, your big picture 
thought on digital transformation and where we're going in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think largely due to um, the pandemic that we're obviously in right now, we're gonna see a massive acceleration of digital transformation. Um, so I think, you know, it was something that there wasn't any, and there was interest behind, but there wasn't urgency behind it. Um, there's now been a major shift, I think, as companies are transitioning between, you know, working from the office and working from home and information needs to be accessible from anywhere and everywhere at all times. I think that's going to have a huge impact on construction. And then I think in an unpredictable world, everyone is going to be looking for predictability where they can find it. And I think by having tools that allow you to better understand um, your, your operations and make more data-driven decisions will give companies an edge. And I think they're, they're looking to better forecast, they're looking to better understand what their business is going to look like one, two, three years down the road. So I think, I think we're gonna see a huge shift. I think that McKinsey graph that you um, pointed to earlier in our conversation, I hope they come out with a new version of that and we'll see construction much higher on the list. So maybe, uh, maybe some final thoughts um, on the opportunity construction has right now to adopt technology, uh, like Bridget, to position itself for the future. What would you recommend if, if you had an audience of uh, developers, um, consulting engineers and architects and the construction companies, what advice would you give them? And I'm going to ask the same of Lauren. <laughs> So something we've been doing internally at Bridget, um, it's for you know, a slightly different purpose. We call it a growth group and it's a cross-functional team um, that we have at the organization with leaders from you know, different departments. And basically that team is questioning and picking apart every single business process we have to try and find ways to remove barriers and make the experience better for our customers in terms of you know, signing up for a demo or you know, going through the sales process or whatever it is. And I think a similar approach could work well for construction companies where they essentially have a task force focused on, you know, becoming digital as an organization and rethinking, you know, every part of their process and every part of how they deliver information to their customers and work with other stakeholders in the industry um, and bit by bit actually putting some of those ideas into action. So I think it's something that's hard to do when a company's in silos. And I think you really need to bring that cross-functional team together um, and give them budget and give them, um, you know, empower them to actually make that change. Are you using any digital tools to help you through that? <laughs> We're using some basic project management tools. Um, so we've used Trello, which is just a free sort of to-do task list. Um, and then Confluence is another one just to document any new processes. Um, and measure results that we get from all of those tests. So it's very experimental. Everything is measured. Um, every experiment that we do is, um, you know, time capped. And so it's a really efficient way for us to make these incremental improvements and innovate within our organization. Just to expand on that a little bit. So empowering employees um, to challenge the process. What would you say are your top three training targets for staff as you move forward into the future? Um, so in terms of like what qualities they have, I think we need them to be adaptable um, because the business can change so quickly and we, we actually want process to change quickly. Um, so people that aren't just stuck on how we used to do things. Um, so I think adaptable is, is a critical trait. Um, I think, you know, a, comfortable and um, you know looking for opportunities to use technology to improve you know their individual process or their team's process they can't be afraid of using technology they need to be open-minded about it um, and i think also the more analytical they are and the ability to sort of question the norm um, as opposed to falling into groupthink, for instance um, has also been a really critical trait for individuals on that on that team so is there is there a a training you're looking for them to take? Is there a, a top book you want them to read? What, what knowledge do you want them to have or have gained in the next year? One course that we've leveraged for our team has been called uh, Reforge and it was um, started in Silicon Valley and there's a number of um, frameworks that they've come up with around experimentation and 
process improvement. So that's something that we've leveraged that, you know, even though it was built for the tech world, I think it could be applicable um, and their frameworks could be applicable to a lot of construction companies as well. Excellent. So Lauren, same question to you. Um, so I would just say, um, and kind of building on what um, Mallory said in terms of having these groups um, within companies to, you know, get out there, see what products are available. I would say um, there is a tendency, I think, in the construction industry to have a mindset of either, you know, we buy a product off the shelf or we build internally. And I think that made sense 15, 20 years ago when there weren't that many products on the market um, and there, the products that were out there weren't you know, super customizable, let's say, and, and wouldn't have worked for a lot of construction companies. Um, I would just say that the world has changed so much in the past, even just the past five years in terms of investment. There's now big, big companies, Autodesk, Procore, um, that are investing you know, hundreds, thousands of, of employees and millions upon millions of dollars into these products. And so I would say leverage as many of those tools as you can. Um, they're constantly building on those products. They're constantly updating them. They're learning from all of their different customers and making those products better. And I think um, you, know, you can get a lot further, even though those products may seem expensive. Um, when you actually factor in the cost to build a product yourself, to maintain it, to you know, fix bugs and issues when those come up. Um, I think, you know, 15 years ago, for sure, it probably made sense to build internally. I would say now, um, not that there isn't a case for it, of course there would be, but there are better products and great products on the market now. So I would just say, you know, look at all of those options before necessarily thinking that you have to build something yourself. That's, that's great advice. Now, you know, you're, you've both moved into a different phase of your business. It's, it's almost as if the rocket packs have been strapped on and you're, you've launched. So, you know, this, this, can, this can really start to accelerate on you. And I'd, I'd love to know what you see as your own personal challenge. Uh, I'll ask you first, Lauren, what, what are you going to do to sort of maintain a, a balanced approach to, to work and life as, as this business starts to take off? What are your challenges? Um, I think, I mean, I can't speak for both of us, but I think, um, you know, we've been working on this business for many years now and burnout is definitely a thing that happens. Um, there's been so many ups and downs. There's been so many great moments, but there's also been, you know, a lot of challenges, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, so I think the thing that, you know, is probably my challenge um, going forward is just you know, finding the next milestone, the next thing to get energized about. Um, and so I think we're really excited with Bridget Bench. We're seeing an incredible acceleration in our growth. I think that's easy um, to get excited about, but making sure that that's a sustainable level of excitement isn't always as easy as it, um, as it seems from the outset, um, because, you know, there's always going to be the next challenge. There's always going to be the next piece of, you know, bad news or whatever that is. Um, so I think for me, it's, you know, kind of gearing up for the next phase, um, as daunting and, and intimidating as that may seem, um, because it is, you know, the stakes are higher now, there is um, a different level of expectation than we had when we were a 10 person company, you know, working out of Mallory's basement apartment. Um, and so I think just getting excited and, and seeing the opportunity for, for growth and for learning in the next phase um, is kind of what I need to focus on. Excellent. Mallory? I think in a, in a fast growth company, we're forced to almost um, reassess what our roles within the company are, you know, every six months, if not every quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think just being able to kind of take the time and, you know, reflect on what it is that we have as strengths and what the areas of opportunity to continue growing and learning are so we can continue to lead the organization successfully is really important. Um, and that takes being, you know, critical of where you're doing well and where you're not doing well and then seeking out you know advice or mentorship in the areas that you have less experience in or feel that you're weaker on um, so I think you know for me it's just reminding myself to think through that on you know a very frequent basis um, so we can continue you know learning at the same rate that the company is growing um, and keep continuing to push the team forwards as as two people who have successfully started up a technology company, what advice would you give to someone who is planning to start a similar journey? 
I would say just make sure you're solving a real problem. Um, you know, they say, you know, it's, it's not ideal anyways to have a solution in search of a problem. Um, you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're building is a real pain point. There is customer demand. There is willingness to pay um, if that's your business model. And you're not just building something that you think is a cool idea. Um, just say, make sure to really validate the idea upfront. That's great. Lauren? Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, we spent six months um, in that research phase before a single line of code was ever written. Um, you know, the second time around, we were, you know, much more efficient at doing that. We were faster to actually start building the product, but um, we definitely forced ourselves over and over again to, you know, validate, validate, validate. Um, and to what Mallory said earlier, we, we were trying to not fall in love with an idea. And, you know, it's easy to see the positive and everything, but truly being critical of every single step in terms of does this make sense? Is this the area to invest? Um, the only other thing I would add is um, we hear a lot of people say, you know, I want to start a business. I want to, you know, go out there and, and do something um, like this, but I'm just waiting for my idea. Um, and I think for us, you know, we've never just had some magical idea land on us. It's always been this, you know, question and answer kind of process that we've gone through, talking to so many people, hearing challenges um, from people that are actually living those challenges every single day versus us try just trying to create them. So I think there's problems everywhere. There's challenges everywhere. Um, there's no idea that's necessarily going to just fall from the sky one day. Um, but if you get out there and start asking questions, you'll, you'll see opportunity kind of everywhere you look. Wow. That's excellent. Well, I, uh, I want to thank you both sincerely uh, for taking the time today to share your, your insights uh, with the uh, ULI uh, base. This, this series is really meant for uh, ULI members to, to gain insight. And as, a, uh, as the chair of uh, membership, I can tell you that uh, watching an interview like this uh, is going to be uh, fantastic for people to uh, reflect on where they've been, where they've going, and, and the, their future. Um, I think you both have, uh, have set out on a fantastic journey and uh, we wish you all the best in, in uh, the future success. And we're, we're watching and cheering from the background for sure. So, so Lauren and Mallory, thank you again for, for taking this, uh, this hour today with us uh, and providing this great insight. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot.